Hey, uh, let's go ahead and jump into things tonight. Uh, last week, we were talking about hearing the shepherd's voice. Uh, we talked how we live in a world where there are a lot of voices calling out to us all the time. And there are at least four voices that we can easily pick out that are forever calling to you and me. Our voice is always calling out. What we want, that selfish nature, I want this, I want that. You have culture's voice calling out to us. Think like this. Behave like this. Do this. You always unfortunately have the enemy's voice calling out to you. And a lot of times the enemy's voice, he tries to camouflage himself. He tries to sound like another voice, the most important voice, the voice of God. There's only one voice in our lives that has the authority and the comfort to speak into our lives. Only one that has the ability to lead our lives with the wisdom, knowledge, and ability to take us to those green pastures. The abundant life that you and I were created for, and that's the voice of our Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. I want to give you a little glimpse into Tom World, okay? A little glimpse into message prep for a pastor. Just honestly, there are weeks when the Lord gives you a topic and a text, and you're like, I got this. I feel good about what I'm speaking on. And, you know, don't get me wrong, you can always learn. There are always times that you're studying and God speaks to you and He's working through you. And those times that, uh, well, maybe you have a better feel for the topic. There are also these other weeks that, uh, quite honestly, you feel like you don't get nothing from God. Like you pray and you pray and you're like, Lord, what do you want to say? And just honestly, that's a minister's biggest fear. You know, for some of you getting up in front of people and speaking is your biggest fear. My biggest fear is getting up in front of you and having absolutely nothing to say. And I've actually woken up, you can ask Missy, in a cold sweat because I dreamt that I was supposed to get up and speak and I had nothing. That's a fear for me. Reality is though, when this happens in my life, it's usually one of two things that is going on. One, the Lord really wants me to pay attention to him. Really wants me to press in, wants me to listen to his voice, read the text, really dig in and grow for myself too. Or, and you know what, it probably happens more often than I'd like to admit, I, I don't really want to speak on the topic because I feel ill-equipped. Uh, how many of you, you avoid doing stuff that you don't do well? I do. You'll see me at the Chi Alpha house after parties, we play games and junk. I don't feel like I'm good at card games. And so you don't see me sit down and play nerds or whatever those like fast-paced games are. It kind of tweaks me out and stuff. That's why I kind of hover around like a little butterfly going around talking to people because I'm not good at it. And so, because I'm not good at it, I avoid it. 
that's where I find myself tonight. I felt pretty comfortable spending the last few weeks talking about Jesus being the good shepherd. I felt like I had a good, you know, overall contention of what, I, what he wanted me to say. I felt like I understood the authority in God's voice. I mean, I, I feel like I have good authority in my voice. I told you guys, I can make small children pee them pants. It's cool. <laughs> and yet, there are times that I do not always feel like I know what I'm talking about. That's where I am tonight. And our message topic for tonight is contentment. Contentment is not something that Tom Trask does very well. It also, just across the board, it's not part of our human nature. We're not content when we don't have what we want, correct? And even when we get what we want, we may have a temporary, sel- temporary sense of fullness, but quickly we're discontent because we want something else. That's my personality. I love my list of things I have to achieve in my life. And I love checking them off. But almost as much as I love checking off the, my things off my list, I like adding more junk to my list. Because, God forbid, I might relax for five minutes or something. And as I looked at my own life, I looked at the reasons why I'm not content, and probably you guys can kind of feel me on some of this stuff. Uh, this verse, you know, our theme chapter is Psalms 23. And when I read it, and even when I say it in my head, I still say it old school, little King James Version. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I think in our lives, a lot of times, we confuse wants and needs. Uh, Every time we go to Walmart, my family, Taylor and I, Taylor runs into the toy aisle and inevitably she will grab a doll or maybe a horse or some other stuffed animal and she comes running out to me and is like, Daddy, I need this doll. And the conversation, you know, it kind of goes something like this. Taylor, You know I love you, but do you really need this doll? Or do you just want this doll? And I'm just telling you, every time, I need this doll, Daddy. I need it. And so, I will look at her. And I will pull up on my phone a picture similar to this one. Put it up. There we go. No. There we go. I'm like, that was not the picture. This picture. You see, I will lean down to her and I will explain to her in a five year old way that this doll that you want me to buy for you 
will momentarily make you feel good. But soon you will forget it like the hundred or so other dolls and stuffed animals that you have in a place I like to call the land of lost toys. Also known as your bedroom. Okay? And please understand, I'm not a bad dad. I love my kid. Look at all this junk I've gotten her over the years. And many of you have given to her. Thank you so much. All right. I want her to have stuff. I just don't want her to want everything. And it's funny when we put it in kid terms, but come on now. I could go to a lot of your houses. And I hear you say, I need another pair of shoes. I need another dress. I need clothes. And you, I know I could open your bedroom door and you would not need another pair of clothes for the rest of your life, Angela Jarvis. <laughs> I saw you begin to squirm down out of the corner of my eye. Yeah. It's true, though. You know what? There are moments... I feel like I need some coffee. Mm. <laughs> I feel it deep inside that I need this coffee. It's probably best if I have some coffee. I think I'm a more pleasant human being when the, I drink the Lord's blessed juice, you know. <laughs> but reality is, I don't need my coffee. I think as humans, we are really, really good at blurring the lines between a want and a need. See, wants are temporary, momentary enhancements to our life. And yet, those are the things that we'll always long for more, even after you have what you originally wanted. Needs, on the other hand, they pertain to our survival, especially spiritually. They will change the outcome of our lives. This past summer, uh, Missy and I, we actually had the privilege of taking some Chi Alpha pastors from around the nation to uh, El Salvador. Uh, we were able to show them firsthand uh, Chi Alpha's compassion arm. If you're new to Chi Alpha this year, uh, Chi Alpha has a compassion arm called Feed One. Yes. $10 a month, you feed a kid every single day, and they get education, and they learn about Jesus. Boom, life is good. You will hear much more about it in the upcoming month because we spend a whole month raising money for Feed One in November. Last year, I think, what, we raised 30, 32000 something like that. I think we can do it again and even more. But it was awesome to see the children's lives that were being changed because of y'all. It was humbling to see these kids in these developing countries. Uh, we always encourage every person in this room to go on at least one missions trip. I will be honest with you, part of that is to help you guys determine 
what needs versus wants are in your life. And don't misunderstand me. I don't believe that we should be ashamed of what we have. But knowing the difference between a want and a need is critical to our walk with Christ. And so, we struggle to be content because we confuse wants versus needs. We also struggle with being content because we are constantly comparing ourselves. A few of you, I think that struck a chord. We compare ourselves because we want what other people have. We compare our lives to their lives. I want their job. I want their house. I want their boyfriend or girlfriend. I want their stuff. Sometimes we compare our lives to an idealized version of what we think our life should be. Sometimes we compare our lives to our parents. I'll be honest. By the time my dad was my age, he was in charge of a whole state as far as the church goes. There are moments, and I have people that speak to me, that even people I respect, I've had people say to me, hey Tom, when are you going to become a real pastor? That hurts. <laughs> and so you do compare yourself. We can even compare our current situation, which may be a bad situation, to who we know God is. Who's good. And when those things don't match up, we find ourselves agitated, frustrated, and discontent. But you see, when we're jealous of what other people have, we diminish the blessings that the Lord has given to us. You see, when there is a lack of thankfulness to God, it leads to being discontent with God. We've got to be thankful for what the Lord has blessed us with. And so as we get into this message, let me just lay out a few truths for you up front. Okay, One, complacency is not contentment. Jesus doesn't want Jesus hippies, okay? He wants people who actually do something. Because Jesus cared about this world, he did work. He wants you and I to realize the emptiness of these worldly pursuits, though. He wants us to free ourselves from those kind of desires so that we can care about the things that Jesus cared about. You see, when we care about the stuff that Jesus cares about, that leads to contentment in our lives. Second quick truth. It's okay to be disappointed in the moment. You are not a bad Christian if you're disappointed or sad about how something has worked out in your life. I think sometimes we look down on ourselves that we must maintain happiness at all times. There are bad situations. 
Often we see in the Old Testament, David is crying or mourning over something bad that has happened. You need to understand that Jesus cares for us in this world as much as He cares for us in the next world. We have a beautiful daughter, Missy and I do, Taylor. We're very blessed to have her. Missy and I also have two children. Sorry. <laughs> See? It's okay. Who we never got to meet. We cried. We mourned. There were moments we were angry. And I absolutely believe that Jesus cried with me. It didn't make me a bad Christian. Isn't that moment that of complete darkness that I saw him in a way I had never seen him before. So it's okay to be disappointed. And finally, wanting is not evil. Okay? You need to understand, Jesus gives us desires. He gives us drive. He gives us passions. Psalms 37.4 says, Take delight in the Lord. That's where those things should be coming from. And He will give you your heart's desire. I think Jesus is okay with me wanting my daughter to be healthy. The problem is when my wants determine my emotions over the truth of our Good Shepherd. Our happiness, that refreshing that we are talking about this year, can't be based on our wants. It's got to come from something deeper. And so as I prayed about this message, the Lord just, He drilled it into my heart that contentment is the key to experiencing God's refreshing in your life. Nothing else will matter this year if we don't understand that we need contentment in the Lord. We have to be content even when we want from God. You see, that for refreshing looks unique in different people's lives. It happens at different times in people's life. It's not a schedule, man. You may be refreshed. I may be dry. You can lift me up. I don't need to be jealous of your refreshing. And He will refresh each of us. But like salvation, it's a gift that we have to see and we have to recognize and we have to receive in our lives. We can't be happy or refreshed when we're constantly wanting because we'll be like a sieve that God's refreshing just pours through our lives because we have so many holes in us. See, these moments of blessing when we're, when we're like a sieve, the Lord pours it out on us. 
He loves us. He's going to pour those things out on us, but they're going to be quickly gone, and we're on to the next worry. We're on to the next want. And I'm not going to get into it tonight, but hear me and hear me well. Want and worry are spiritual cousins that come from the same place. Fear that the Lord won't take care of us. And so, we know that contentment is not a natural behavior. So that means it's a learned behavior. It's a learned behavior that we all need to grasp and grow in. And so, we're going to spend a week or two talking about how to be content. Sound good? Cool. Trust me, I looked at making it one message and it was freaky long. No one wants that. <laughs> uh, let's go back to the 23rd Psalm. It's here that David lists what the good shepherd provides and the needs that are met. Basically, he lays it out. What he does, what we receive, and how we're refreshed. You know, he leads us, we receive peace. He renews us, we receive strength. He guides us, we receive purpose in our lives. He is close to us, he gives us his presence, we are fearless. He has his tools and weapons. We are protected and comforted. The shepherd's a host. He hosts a party. Our enemies are subdued. He anoints and we are honored. He pours out and we are blessed. He is good. He loves and we are pursued. And David ties it up. Because of him, we will live with him forever. I think most of us in this room, you probably know how David's life played out. Pretty good. He goes from being a shepherd to a king, living in the fields, to living in a palace. He is wealthy. He is respected. Has a bunch of kids. He has everything that the world would say that you want in this life. He's even called a man after God's own heart. And honestly, uh, it's easy to look at someone like that and think, well, crud, of course they have, they're content. They have everything they could ever want. How hard is it to be content when you have everything? But we need to understand that David's contentment wasn't found in his abundance or in his times of plenty in his life. You see, David discovers his contentment through his times of struggle. And it's those struggles that they purify his thoughts and allow him to see the truth. The truth that is echoed in a prayer of praise at the end of his life. But who am I? And who are my people that we could give you anything? Give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. You see, when David wrote the 23rd Psalms, things were, as a, a staff member once said when I asked him how his life group was going, things were not well. 
he had gone from a hero to a zero pretty quickly. He had secretly been anointed the next king of Israel, but kind of kept down the low low because, uh, admittedly, the current king wouldn't appreciate that too much. David goes on, he saves the nation of Israel by killing a giant named Goliath, but that only plants seeds of insecurity and fear into the current king. A man that David only showed showed the most honor and respect to. Talked about last week, but David experienced someone close to him who abused their authority. King Saul, he is David's father-in-law, okay? And his father-in-law tries to kill him several times. He drives him from his friends and his family, forcing him to live as a criminal. And when David writes the Psalms, he's in his early 20s, and he's been living in caves, in the forest, in the desert, in a different country for like eight years. Constantly on the move, trying to avoid being killed by Saul. It wasn't in a place of abundance that David finds contentment. It's He found it in a place where most people would say he had nothing. And what David probably didn't even know at the moment, his people were this close to betraying him. Those outlaws that had gathered around, they were thinking about killing him. And this is where David writes the psalm. This is doing some studying. Uh, One of the scholars I was looking at talks about how David wrote two kinds of psalms. Remember, a psalm is the sacred song that David would sing out. The first kind of psalm was basically a posture of response. He was responding to God's presence. He was in there in the moment and to his identity. And David was finding a deep contentment in his experience of goodness. Basically, what I'm saying is, God was pouring out his blessings. God was pouring out his refreshing. David was praising God. Woo! Life's good, Jesus. Thank you. But David also wrote a second kind of song. He wrote a song about things that he was not experiencing in the moment. See, his contentment in those times, they weren't found in the goodness of God, in those tangible things that are easy to pick out. Rather, his contentment was found in God alone. He didn't want anything else, for God was with him, even when his circumstances sure didn't seem like God was with him. See, David's identity was formed in those moments when he had only the good shepherd. And this is a place for you and I to also discover contentment in the Lord. Be honest with you, it's hecka inconvenient. It's not a whole lot of fun. Usually these times are a big pain and not super enjoyable, but they're necessary. Necessary to truly know the Lord. And it's in those moments Three things can 
change. And I say can because just honestly, anytime that we are put under pressure, we can react one of two ways. Draw closer to the Lord or walk away from Him. I'm going to just address the side that we're walking closer to the Lord, okay? Because that's what I believe y'all will do. And so in those moments, three things need to change. Our priorities, our perspectives, and our thinking. Our priorities, our perspectives, and our thinking. Last week, we touched on how our priorities change when we start listening to God's voice. When we start making, listening to His voice above anything else, our number one purpose. And we talk about how our priorities change when we respond to God's voice. Because of time, there you go. Things change. Because we do want to keep the message a little bit shorter. We're going to talk about changing our thought process next week. And tonight, we're just going to focus on changing our perspective. Our perspective can really change our outlook. Can we agree to that? Okay. Uh, Cars. Can you put the first picture up here? Okay. What do we have here, folks? Not a spaceship. All right. Incorrect. There are wrong answers in this world. Yes. This is a picture of a building. This is uh, the Burj Khalifa, the tallest building in the world. Uh, 27, 27, I don't know, a whole lot of feet tall. Really freaky big, how about that, okay? From this perspective, you just are looking up. There's not a whole lot to see when you're on the ground, <coughs> in the valley, looking up <laughs> at stuff. But then, if you get a change of perspective, when you're at the top, you're not just looking down, but you're looking out. And you can see a whole field of vision. You can see things that you could never see before because your perspective has changed. Leave, go ahead and leave it on this one for just a second. You need to understand that David's understanding of the world he lived in didn't define his spiritual reality. David was in a bad place, man. Things were not well for him. He was the first pitcher looking up at a freaky tall building and that's all I could see because that's what he was dealing with in the moment. But he knew there was a spiritual reality that goes beyond looking at the building and it goes looking from the top of the building out. Contentment has to be more than what we can see on our own. We're like the sheep in the sheepfold. We're surrounded by the high walls. We're limited in what we can see in this world, but we have a shepherd who can see it all. And what God can see is more real than anything that we can see with our physical eyes. 
See, contentment, it's got nothing to do with the physical stuff we possess or how we feel. Contentment is knowing who God is and our identity in Him. God is enough even when we don't have enough. And so, why? Why could David be content when his life didn't line up about what he knew about God's goodness? David saw through God's eyes. David's perspective changed in the moment. When you would expect him to only be able to see a dark wall in front of him, he saw so much more. You and I, we need to see through God's eyes. Earlier in the Old Testament, God promises Abraham. Abraham's the father of the nation of Israel. Boom, he's the start. And God pulls him up on the side of a mountain. And he tells Abraham, I'm giving you this land. As far as you can see you to you and your descendants. Students, we have to see the truth about the reality we live in. Because our perspective can either fuel fear or it can fuel our faith. How you see things will determine your outcome. That's just a fact. We talked last week about our sheep fact of the week was sheep can't see well, correct? Their eyes are kind of on the side of the head, kind of bug out a little bit and stuff. They can kind of see if a predator's like moving a little bit, so hopefully they don't get eaten and whatnot. But they got no depth perception. They can't see what's right in front of them. We're kind of like sheep. We know that. We can't see well. But Jesus also didn't make us spiritually blind either. He gives us opportunities. He gives us way to pay attention to what he sees through his word, through his spirit, through his voice of the people. And so we need to pay special attention when the Lord is trying to show us something. We need to see what the Lord wants to give us. And we need to desire the things of the Lord. The problem is, not everyone sees what the Lord wants to give them as a blessing. Years later, God's made this promise to Abraham. And years later, you have the Israelites, they're stuck in Egypt. They've been slaves there 400 years. Moses goes in. He leads the people out. They celebrate. Things are great. And I, I, I'm not kidding. I think they got like 10, 11 days out, and they start complaining. You spent 400 years in slavery. You only made it 10 days. And oh, life sucks. Life's hard. Even though literally the presence of God is in front of them. And the presence of God is providing for them. 
and all they can see is that they're stuck walking in the desert. And they're stuck looking back at Egypt and what it could provide. Well, at least we wouldn't die there. Lowered expectations, folks. But here's the thing. Sometimes you have to give up the world's provision to see the Lord's provision. And people don't want to. They want to go with the guaranteed. They want to go with the safe when God has the great for them. And so they go on this journey. And they make it to the land. And it's like, here's the thing, man. If you look on the map, it should be, and there's a good amount of people, I'm going to be safe. It should take less than a month to travel from Egypt to the Promised Land. More like probably 14 days at most. They get to the Promised Land. And God tells Moses to send in 12 spies to the land that I am giving to Israel. Promise. Interesting thing is, these 12 guys, they all saw the same thing, but they came back with different reports. Ten of the 12 only saw trouble. Man, we can't go up against these people. We can't deal with that. They're too strong for us. They're giants. How could we ever defeat them, even though God has promised us the land? And yet you had two, Joshua and Caleb, they saw what God wanted to give them. They saw the land. They weren't looking at the problems that were in the land. They saw the land. They saw the desires of God's heart. What he wanted for them. And he, they say to Moses, let's go up and take possession of the land for we will surely overcome. Only two out of twelve saw what the Lord wanted to give them. Unfortunately, there are two types of Christians. Those who see what the Lord wants to give them and those who can't or won't. Only one group will receive what the Lord wants to give to them. Only one group will be content and satisfied because they acted out of faith that the shepherd knows best. The rest, they get left out. You guys know the story. Joshua and Caleb are the only ones that make it into the promised land. Everyone else dies. See, receiving what the Lord wants to give us will at times mean and require us to do something. Actually, many times, receiving to receive, actually, many times, it is an essential part of seeing our need actually fulfilled in our lives. I think too many Christians, when we think of receiving, it, it, we imagine Amazon Prime or something, man. You know, you sit down, your prayer life, you're like, okay, Lord, these are the things I need. Let me add it to my, you know, wish list. Let me put it in my cart. Lord, I ask you in your name, Jesus, amen. Click. And then we just sit and wait, and we hope that he'll show up at our front door with a package. 
And when he doesn't, or it doesn't happen that way, we get frustrated at God. We get mad that God's not taking care of my needs. See, more often than not, we have a part in receiving what God has for us. He wants us to participate, not because he needs our help. We all know that, right? He's God. He wants us to participate so that we can see his power at work in our lives. So that we have to acknowledge the shepherd. So that we can't deny the truth. You see, many times in the Old Testament, it says that the Lord went before them. And then God performed a miracle. They still had to go, folks. They still had to leave the safe place and the provision of the world to receive what the Lord had for them. The Lord will give us what we need. But we have to go so we can see the shepherd at work in our lives. And so, you want God to meet needs in your life? Then go seek God. Jesus said in Matthew 23, or excuse me, Matthew 6, 33, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will, he will give you everything you need. Seek. See. Get it? S-E-E-C. Seek. Yeah. I know. What do you want? Can't be perfect. All right. Seek the kingdom of God. That means, first and foremost, go looking for Jesus. Look for him. Trust him. Listen to him. Follow him. You will find him. He promises that. Live righteously. We learned that Jesus is righteous. That he is knowledgeable. He is the wide shepherd who knows how to provide the best life for his sheep. Jesus is calling us to live a life modeled off of his. And just honestly, only Jesus is right all the time. But we can live righteously by listening to his truth and living our lives according to that truth. We live in a world where everyone has their own truth based on their experience. And while those experiences mold who we become, it doesn't make it truth. It may be what you experience or what you feel runs contrary to Jesus' truth. It doesn't make it correct. Jesus calls on his people to live right. To follow his ways, to obey his commands, to listen to his voice. If we do that, we'll have everything we need and more. David didn't live in a cave forever, correct? And what David didn't know when he wrote that Psalms was he was on the cusp of becoming the next king of Israel. His problems were over. There wasn't a guarantee. He had a lot of things he still had to deal with, but he was about to receive what the Lord had for him because he was content. Trust that the Lord will give you everything that you need.
bow your heads, close your eyes.